we're going to start by reading from the Bible. So if you don't have this book, it's okay because the story is in the Bible. You'll be able to understand and follow along, especially if you know the story of Queen Esther. It's a very popular story and um, a very loved one. It's actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. So we're going to go ahead and turn to Esther and we're going to start by reading chapter one. And just so you know, during this time in the Bible is when the Jews were forced to leave and due to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they were now under the rulership of the Persian kingdom. And so there are a lot of Jews that were living in that area at the time. And that's where the story takes place. So I'm going to start by reading Esther chapter one. I'm going to start at verse 10, just to give you a little bit of background about her story. On the seventh day, when the king was feeling good from the wine. Okay, so the king was having this huge feast. And during that time, the feast lasted for weeks. It wasn't just like a one day party. It would go on and on and on. There'd be like just the most luxurious wine and food and table settings. And it was just like a great time. And so the king was having this really huge feast. And on the seventh day, when the king was feeling good from the wine, when he was feeling himself, <laughs> King Ahasuerus commanded Mehuman, Bitsa, Harbana, Bigthara, Agbatha, Zethar, Carcass, and the seven eunuchs who served him. So these are the people who served under him. He commanded them to bring out the queen, Queen Vashti, before him with her royal crown. So he wanted to show off his wife, the queen, to the people that were there. And so he asked his servants to go get her. He wanted to show off her beauty to the people and the officials because she was very beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come to the king's command that was delivered by his eunuchs. The king became furious and his anger burned within him. So she says, no, I'm not, I'm not coming. For whatever reason, she decided not to go. So the king consulted the wise men who understood the times, for this was normal procedure, and the seven officials of Persia and Medea who had personal access to the king and occupied the highest positions. And they said, according to the law, what should be done with Vashti, since she refused to obey the king, they believed that if he let this go, then the other women in the town will start to disrespect their husbands. And if other women find out about this, they're going to copy her because she's a, an example. She's a queen. It'll cause others to despise their husbands and say, King Asarius ordered Queen Vashti before him and she did not come. So they said that he should order a decree and let let it be recorded in the law that she's no longer to enter his presence. So they basically said that she should no longer be queen. She should no longer be allowed to come into his presence because of what she's done. So he did order a decree. And this was basically known that she was no longer queen, no longer able to come into his presence. I'm going to just kind of fast forward. So sometime later, once he cooled down, once the king cooled down after thinking about what she had done and what was decided against her, the attendants suggested that they should now find a new queen. So 
they ended up going throughout the town and looking for women to become the queen. So it's hard to say, but it seems as if they took them by force. It wasn't like it was their choice. And had the women come into the palace to basically think of it like a modern day, like bachelor, basically see whether or not they were a fit for the king. So in the fortress of Susa, there was a Jewish man named Mordecai, and he was a Benjaminite. He had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the other captives when King Nebuchadnezzar took King Jehoiakim of Judah into exile. He was a legal guardian of his cousin Hadassah. That's Esther. So Esther's name actually changed. Her Jewish name was Hadassah. And Mordecai was her uncle and he was her legal guardian because she didn't have a mother or a father. And it says about Esther, the young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good looking. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. When the king's command and edict became public knowledge, many young women gathered at the fortress under Haggai, who's one of the eunuchs, care. Esther was also taken to the palace and placed under the care of Haggai, who was pleased. I'm sorry, who was in charge of the women. The young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. He assigned seven hand-picked female servants to her from the palace and transferred her and her servants to a harem's best quarters. So basically, just to kind of summarize this for you so we can speed up, she was taken to the palace and she was one of those women that everyone just loved. The women loved her, the servants loved her, and Haggai, the eunuch that was in charge, really just liked her for some reason. And because of that, he gave her a special diet. He sped up her beauty treatments. And then he also moved her to like the best quarters, the best apartments and gave her seven handmaids. And she had all this upon her just because of who she was. So during that time, she ended up going to see the king and she did not take anything special with her except for what he told her, you know, she should wear or she should take. And the king ended up really liking her more than any other woman and ended up choosing her to be queen. So that's just a summary. It's just so we don't have to read it, but I do want you to read it in your Bible. It's a very, very short book, the book of Esther. I recommend you read all the little details so you can see exactly how she went from being an orphan to being the queen. Okay, so I want to go ahead and talk about the book, When Women Pray, and just chat a little bit about the commentary about Queen Esther's life in this moment when she goes to the palace. So I'm going to start by reading off of page 117. In recent years, I have observed a new class of women taking center stage in many key positions in society. These women seem to rise easily and effortlessly through the ranks. They have an instinctive awareness of what it takes to climb up the ladder of success. Esther was that kind of woman. Esther rose above the competition. She became queen over the most powerful empire of her day, and she likely did it before she reached her 15th birthday. No wonder Esther's name in the Persian language means star. One of the most surprising elements of Esther's ascension is that she started from the bottom. 
She was no pampered princess who had been primped and preened from her youth. Instead, both of Esther's parents passed away when she was still a child. She was an orphan. Not only that, Esther was an immigrant. She was a Jewish girl living in the capital city of the empire that had crushed her ancestors and taken them captive. In other words, Esther knew what it was like to be different, to be viewed as different, to be scorned as an outsider, someone who wasn't the same color as the majority and didn't hold the same values as the culture around her. So with that being said, I want you to think about your life as a woman and Many of you are from different cultures and different backgrounds, but think about in the places that you occupy, like your your home, your job, your social activities, in what ways are you different than the people around you? Because Esther was, she was different. She didn't have the same background as everyone else. You know, most people are not orphans. She was Jewish and she was looked upon in a different way, which wasn't positive. So as people, as women, sometimes we can feel like we're less than. Even if we're in good positions, it doesn't mean that we feel like we belong there. And this can be even in your family. Like This can go as far as your immediate family that you grew up in. Maybe you look different than your family members. Maybe you're in an interracial relationship where you and your husband are from different cultures, different backgrounds. You don't necessarily feel like you fit in, even just like by the color of your skin compared to like your husband and your children. You stand out. Maybe you are in a workplace where you came from a different country and everyone speaks a certain way. You don't speak the way that they do. You have a strong accent and you're clearly different than they are. You can also just be someone who is, you know, maybe African-American. Growing up, in my life growing up, I was always one of five or 10 Black girls in my school. Not even girls, just students in general. There's probably like a handful of us. And so we definitely stood out. And I remember being on like teams, like the dance team and just different activities and being the only one or being in my class and being the only one and how that affected me. At that time, I was always very conscious of that and sometimes even self-conscious of it. And I also knew that people expected me to be a certain way because of the way that I looked and feeling like I had to rise to that expectation. And then on top of that, Not only was I Black, but I'm actually from Ghana. So culturally, I'm not the same as someone who's African-American. I didn't know all of the African-American slang and culture through like music and movies and all these little things that they would say. I didn't get it. I didn't know anything about that stuff. So to the outside world, I was Black, but in my small circle of Black friends, I was African. And so it was very challenging, especially also being a child of an immigrant. So my parents are both immigrants. So I was in a position where I didn't even have the generational knowledge that other people had because my parents were not from America. And so there were a lot of things that made me stand out and made me feel like I was looked upon in a very different way 
sometimes in a negative way, coming from a single parent home where most of my friends were in two parent homes. I would say pretty much all of them had a mother and a father at home. And my sister and I didn't, you know, so we're the one, you know, the, the two sisters walking home from school, walking to school while everyone's getting a ride, rain or shine, we were walking because we didn't have someone to drop us off and pick us up like everyone else did. And so I always have felt different in that sense. And I would say at some point it did feel like a disadvantage because it was a disadvantage in a lot of ways, but I didn't feel sorry for myself yet. I knew I was at disadvantage. I knew that I wasn't at their level because I was missing a lot of things that other people had. So I want to know, leave me a comment and tell me in your life, what ways do you feel different? What ways are you different than the people around you, whether it's at school, at work, in your social groups, in your family? Why are you different? Because being different does matter and it does impact the way that you show up, especially if you're very aware of your differences. And I also want to know, when you're in situations that you feel this disadvantage, let's say like how I was saying, you know, in my school growing up, I was like one of the very few black people. In what ways do you try to fit in? Or maybe you have two identities where you have one identity when you're at work and one identity when you're at home. I know we have this thing called code switching where we kind of switch the way we speak and and the way that we behave when we're around people who are like us versus when we're around people who are not like us. But what do you think is the advantage that you have when you are around people who are different than you? If you're not someone who's gone to college, but everyone at your job has degrees, when you think about that, do you think to yourself, I'm so blessed to be here because A, B, C, and D, how did you get there? Why do you feel like you got to the same level as someone else did when you didn't have what they had? What is the reason behind that? Because we all know when we're in situations when we're different and we know we don't necessarily deserve it in a way where we didn't earn it or work for it, but we're still there. And we rationalize that. We think about, why is that? (laughs) What is it about me? What comes to your mind? It's unfortunate because a lot of times people who are different, they do tend to suffer the most. Because if it's something that you are thinking of in terms of a lack, like I'm less than in some way, You're always trying to make up for it in some form or fashion, and that becomes really dangerous. Or you just become overly self-conscious, and you're watching your every little move. If you're African-American and your mom told you, look, you're Black, you can't do what they do, because if you do it, they're going to treat you like this, or they're going to fire you versus if someone else does it. How does that affect you? Do you walk on eggshells, or do you just behave exactly the way you would normally. It is very destructive though. Um, Some of the things that we do end up doing, I want you to think about this and think about if this is something that happens in your life. When you're in these situations, do you believe the thoughts that people are thinking about you? Do you believe the stereotypes? Do you embrace them? Do you listen to gossip or allow people to dump their problems on you because you think that 
you don't deserve to be here anyway. Like you need to do more. You need to give of yourself in this way that you don't feel comfortable doing, but you believe that it's what you need to stay in those circles. Do you take on extra tasks, maybe at work or if you're part of an organization? Do you try to do more and maybe you're scared to say no because you believe that that position can get taken from you? Maybe you're in a situation where you have a very attractive boyfriend and you believe that this is not someone who would normally be interested in you. You're not beautiful enough to be able to attract someone like this. So because of that, do you do things like maybe sleep with him or give your body to him because you think, wow, like how did I land this guy? Like he, I can't say no. Like I have to do what he wants me to do because where am I ever going to be able to get this opportunity again? I want to stay with them. I want to keep him. Or maybe you sustain him financially. You let him get away with things that he should have no business doing because you don't want to lose him. So he doesn't work or he doesn't have a car or whatever. And you're giving him yours or you're letting him stay with you or you're giving him money because you don't think that you really should have him. Do you do things like buy things that you can't afford just to try to fit in with your circle, depending on you know where you work or where you go to school? There is a culture in the sense of how people present themselves or the socioeconomic of certain um, places, like certain colleges or certain cities. You know, people, you look around and it's like, wow, everyone's driving a certain car, has certain kind of clothes. And so in order to fit in, I need to purchase these things too. Do you think that other external things are keeping you there? Do you get anxiety about losing this position that you're in? Like I said, whether it's a position at work or it's a position with friends, maybe you met a group of women who are powerhouses and you're like, wow, they're my friends. I need to be a certain way or, and I'm, I'm worried that one day maybe they won't be friends with me or they'll catch on. Do you care too much about what people think of you? Are you overly concerned about that? I remember when I was in grad school and no, it wasn't grad school. I was doing my doctorate and I went to a school that was very, the students there were very wealthy. It was just a small private school in a very affluent area. The students were rich and I'm talking like undergraduate students, students who were 19 years old. Every car in the parking lot was a luxury car. And I remember at the time I was driving like a Ford Focus and I had no problem with my car. I love my car. But being with those people constantly made me think like, <laughs> okay, this is embarrassing if my friends are walking with me to my car and they're all driving like these luxury vehicles. And here I am with my Ford Focus. I would get like this feeling like, oh gosh, I hope they don't judge me. Or if we're in class, you know, everyone's wearing all these fancy clothes, fancy jewelry. And I remember during that time, I spent so much money on watches and jewelry and things that just were very materialistic because I know I wanted to, it wasn't that I, okay, I, I didn't want to necessarily fit in, but I felt like if all of my peers are dressed this way, then this is how I'm supposed to be dressed. And that put a lot of pressure on me and got me into a place where I was spending a lot of money and wasting a lot of money trying to fit in. 
another example of something like that where you are overly self-conscious of maybe what people think of you, I remember really being conscious about wearing a ring. Now, I love rings. If you know me from my channel, you know I'm a big ring girl. I love rings. And at that time, though, it was different. It wasn't like I was wearing my ring because I love my ring. I was conscious about wearing my ring because I felt that people were very judgmental about listening to professionals who were married. And I noticed that people would judge listening to someone's advice, feedback, ideas as to whether or not this person was married. It gave them some sort of credibility if the person had a ring on. Plus, in the field that I'm in and just being a doctoral student at the time, we did a lot of talking with our hands. So people are constantly looking at your hands and looking at whether or not you have a ring on your finger. And so the days where maybe I'd forget to put my ring on, I would think, oh my gosh, you're not going to listen to me. Like, this is the reason why they're listening to me is because I, they think I'm married because I wasn't married. I wasn't even engaged. So these things are subtle things that sometimes we overlook and we think that they matter more than they do, or we're putting so much emphasis on trying to keep ourselves in these certain positions and not realizing why we're really there and who is really keeping you there. And that's God. It's not about what you're doing or what you have. The Lord loves raising up people who don't belong in certain places, who no one would ever expect, who don't fit the mold. God loves doing that. And he's done it throughout the entire Bible. He always uses people who are the most unlikely, the orphan, the person who doesn't have the single parent girl, okay? The girl who doesn't fit the mold is a person he will use to show you that it's not about what you do, it's about what he does. And that is so important to know that the only favor that we need to seek is from God and not from people. Who cares about what they think of you in your car and your clothes and your race? That does not matter. He's the one who put you there and he's the one that will elevate you. And yes, everyone will wonder, how in the world did you get that? And that's when you can point them back to God. So one thing that we need to remember is that when you're a child of God, no matter what you're doing, the Lord goes before you. He goes in front of you and ensures that whatever you're going to go through is taken care of. He prepares that for you before you even realize that the answer is yes for you. So you don't have to take things into your own hands because that is very dangerous. And God will always place people in your life, like this eunuch, like her uncle, to try to elevate you. If you're accepting of it. He will have people help you and bring you right to the top. And you will have no idea why they're doing it. And it's not because you're, you know, so much better than everyone else. Because I guarantee you, Queen Esther was stunning because God, in the Bible, God said she was extremely attractive. She was a good looking woman, but she was not the only good looking woman there. Of all the women, there were other good looking women. (laughs) Okay, the queen, the one that was already queen was a good looking woman, I'm sure. So it's not simply because of how attractive she was physically, but she had a special attraction that the Lord gave her that gave her favor over everyone else. And so that's why we can't get so caught up in ourselves thinking that we're so pretty and we're so smart and we're so 
cunning or, you know, just all the things that we try to kind of credit ourselves with as to how and why we have all the things we have. It's not because of you. It's because God allowed you to have these things. And in Psalm 23, the Lord says that he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And I love that because it, it talks about the fact that God prepares. Preparing means that it happens before it happens. So he goes in front of you and he gives you this canvas, this life, these opportunities. And he does it where the people who don't like you, the people who don't think that you deserve it, the people who are racist, the people who hate you for no reason, they get to watch you shine and enjoy all the things that God does. He does it on purpose so that your enemies can watch you shine. And it's important to know that it's coming from God. You don't have to worry about people and their thoughts about you. He will elevate you for his purpose. So I want to talk a little bit about the idea of favor and what it is. Like, how did Esther manage to get from the bottom to the top? I'm sure when she was there, she was thinking, okay, I'm here, but there's no way he's going to choose me. And of course, most of us do feel like that. We, especially if you're someone who's humble, (laughs) a lot of times you don't think it'll be you. So how did she get that favor? And, you know, why did the eunuch, why did he give her a special treatment? He accelerated her beauty treatments. He gave her a special diet. So that could have meant that the things that everyone else was eating, she was getting something better food, but maybe even like better quality food or food to enhance certain parts of her body because she was Jewish. I don't know if he knew that or not, but if she requested certain food and just said, is it possible that maybe you have this? Maybe he said, you know what? I'm going to get that for you. And so she didn't have to eat things that maybe she wasn't supposed to eat culturally. And she got an apartment. She got servants. Why did he see her like that? What is favor? So let's read from the book. With all of the disadvantages that Esther had, how did she succeed? Well, she did have three advantages that helped her transform from an orphan to a shooting star. The first was her cousin Mordecai, who had adopted her when her parents died. Reading the book of Esther, it's clear that Mordecai was a man of faith a man of principle, a man who understood right and wrong and who had the patience and the kindness to teach those same values to his adopted daughter. The second advantage was Esther's physical attractiveness. Scripture says that she had a lovely figure and was beautiful. I'm sure much of this had to do with her physical features, like her hair, her eyes, her curves, and so on. But the idea of attraction is always more complicated than simply body types. Esther was the kind of woman who attracts the attention of others. If she was talking, if she was walking by you on the street, she would catch your eye. There was something extra about her that people found attractive. Perhaps the same something extra was connected to her third advantage in life, which was her ability to produce favor in others, which was her ability. I'm sorry, she was favorable. The text says, Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Think about that. Everyone who saw her, she won their favor. Men and women, young and old, palace guard or street urchin, 
people simply enjoyed being around Esther. They liked her company. Rather than producing envy or strife in others, she produced favor. That included the king, whose name was Xerxes. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Do you know anyone like this? Maybe you're like this. Maybe the person is you. Where you have a presence or you've met someone who has a special something about them where, yes, they are beautiful, but there's something so much more to them that makes everyone like them. And I will say with these women who have this sort of favor that God places on their life, they're not mean, rude, conceited women. They're not. They're women who truly love everyone and embrace everyone. And people can sense that about them. People will compliment them anywhere they go, no matter what they're wearing, no matter what they look like. People will find a way to compliment them, to speak to them, because there's something special about them. And it is a beautiful thing. But I do want to talk about what favor is in general. Even if you're not the most beautiful woman, even if everyone's not trying to be your friend, it doesn't matter. You still have favor in your life. And when the Lord delights in you, when he approves of you in terms of the way that you love him, the way that you live your life, then there's a special grace that he puts upon your life that opens doors, especially for people who honor God. For those of you who truly allow the Lord to get credit for the wonderful things in your life and you don't just think that it's because you're so great. You always give it back to God. The more you do that, the more you will start to see the way God favors you. So favor means that you get exceptions to the rules. There are so many rules in life. And if you think about your life, there are so many times where maybe there was a rule and they made an exception for you. This could be as simple as returning something to the store. You don't have the receipt. You don't have the card. You don't have anything. And you want to return. And they say, you know what? <laughs> Honestly, we usually do not do this. This is not part of our policy. But I'm going to make an exception for you. An exception. Getting special exceptions. Not because you yelled at them. Not because you had an attitude. Not because you think that you wore a special outfit or perfume. But because they wanted to do it for you. So it can be a small exception to a rule like that. It can be an exception to a big rule. It could be you trying to close on a home or purchase a car or get a interview somewhere and you don't have all the qualifications and you know you don't. You don't have three letters of recommendation, but for some reason, they still decide to interview you or they still decide to hire you, even though you don't have the experience that you were supposed to have before even applying. That is an exception to the rule. And think about your life. Do you get exceptions? Are there things that just kind of work out even though you are not supposed to have it? It's also preferential treatment. So you will have things happen to you in your life where doors are just opening for you and you have no idea why. So you can be, let's say, at the store 
And the clerk will open up a brand new register when the line is so long and choose you from the middle of the line to start at that new register. And it's like, oh, that's so great. You weren't expecting that, but you now get to lead faster. You don't have to wait any longer. Or you, this is one thing I love, getting a parking spot. If the parking lot is full and you pull up and someone's pulling out right in the front. And it's like, yes. And it happened just in time for your car to come. These are preferential treatments that we often overlook. We just think, oh, we're so lucky or, or you know, it just it's just great timing. And we don't give credit to God. There is someone looking over your life and allowing things to work out for you. We get preferential treatment in so many ways. I mean, I can give you tons of examples of how this kind of thing happens on a day-to-day basis, in small ways and in huge ways. When you have favor in your life, you also get protection. You get protection from God. There are so many things, love, that happen in your life that you are protected from. There are so many situations that you have no idea that should have happened to you that didn't happen to you. This can be something like maybe a man that you were dating was having some issues where maybe he had some mental health issues or he had some violent tendencies and you broke it off with him just before he was going to start showing that side of him. Or maybe you ended up driving somewhere at nighttime where there was a shooting or there was a drunk driver that came right after you left somewhere. All these things that you have no idea that could have happened to you that didn't happen to you. It can be protection just in a sense of like your body. Maybe you were very promiscuous and you were having sex with all these guys without condoms and you were protected from diseases. There are many women who end up having lots of sexually transmitted diseases and they slept with the same person you slept with, but you didn't get it and they did. It doesn't mean you're better than them. It does not mean that. This is just favor. This is special protection that God is giving you. Even though you're making poor choices, it's love. So we get protection in so many ways because we have angels who watch over us, who ensure that we don't end up dead and we are able to get to our destiny safely. We also get favor in the sense of gifts and blessings where you just receive things from people that you never expected. Someone can send you money or send you a gift or say, oh, you know, I know that you could use this. Would you like this? Or take you to lunch or bring you some food. We get blessings and gifts in so many ways. If you just started thinking and recognizing those things as blessings. It can be as simple as your three-year-old daughter just looking at you and saying, you're a great mom. You know, that is so special to be able to have love like that and genuine love. These are all blessings. We have some women who have children who cannot speak. We have some women who are not able to even have children. So these are just such beautiful blessings that God gives us. And it's important that we recognize it as favor, especially when we know it's God, without a question. I actually took some time this week, one day, just to think about that day and the things that had happened and the favor that 
the Lord had put on my life in that day. And I'll just share a couple things that happened. I had a, a package that was delivered to my door. They're supposed to bring it to the back door, not the front door, because people are walking down the street and they can just take my package. And it was about maybe 9.30 p.m. And I got the, the doorbell rang and it was the security guard. And he's like, someone left these packages by your door. I just wanted to make sure you got them. They got in your house so that no one stole them. And I was like, thank you. That's favor. You know, he didn't have to have work that night. He didn't have to ring my doorbell. I didn't have to be home. And all of those things would have prevented me from getting that package that very well could have been stolen. I definitely have had many parking lot spots opening for me in the front, which I'm so grateful for every single time. I literally will say, thank you, Jesus, because I'm pregnant and walking is just hard. I'm just so grateful to be able to park close. I went to the mall that day and I had to buy a couple of things. And every single store I went to, there was no line. I was able to get right up there and buy what I had to buy. And I believe that that was favor. I did not have to waste any time that day. I had two friends who just had babies who offered me a breast pump in the same week. They saw my registry and they realized that I had some of these breast pumps on my registry that they had, that they had not opened yet. And they're like, you know what? Let me just give this to you so that you can have it. I haven't used it. And that was special favor in the form of a gift. So all of these things are seemingly small. Like maybe I could have overlooked every one of these things and just thought of it as nothing. But all these things is just God looking out for me in various ways. So whether it's big or small, it's important every time you see God doing something for you that you just say, thank you, Lord. That You just give a small, just praise, some gratitude to remind yourself that it's not because of you. It's because of God. Okay. You don't deserve anything. You deserve absolutely nothing. So anything that you receive is a blessing. And in Isaiah chapter 66, the Lord says that these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit who tremble at my word. That is what God says in terms of the people that he looks upon with favor. Those who are humble, contrite in spirit, and tremble at my word. He wants people who are humble, who love him, who want to do what he says that they should do, who truly have a fear of God. Those are the people that he pours his favor upon. And so it's important to try to understand that and let that sink into your heart. So I want to know, leave me a comment. First of all, just leave me a comment saying thank you to God for something in your life this week. I don't care what it is. Just thank God for something that he's done. And if you have experienced God's favor anytime during the week, the month, write a comment. Let us know because I think it's important for us to realize the things that we're overlooking and taking for granted. So whatever you think in your life that you received favor for this week, this month, this year, leave a comment and let me know. Thank God for something he's done for you this week. And take some time throughout the week, this upcoming week, and just start paying attention. Even if you just do it for today, pay attention to what God is doing in your life and the favor that he gives you throughout the day. 
for the rest of the day and just stop, take a moment and just say, thank you, Lord. I'm going to read on page 122 in the book. At Mordecai's request, okay, Mordecai told Esther, her uncle, don't tell anyone that you're Jewish. So she was in the palace under this pretense that she was Persian. So no one knew about her true identity. At Mordecai's request, Esther did not reveal her Jewish heritage when she became queen. She kept her past on the down low and concentrated on the present. Then there was the matter of Esther's official transition out of the harem into the palace. She needed a new wardrobe, new shoes, new servants. She began her training in whatever official duties were expected from the queen in those days. She began deepening her relationship with her new husband. In short, Esther's life was good for this star among the women of Persia. Each day was sweeter than the one before, and her future was bright. What Esther did not realize is that a trap had been laid for her people in the land of of their enemies. An evil plot with a sinister foundation and a deadly intent. The plot started with a man named Haman, who was second in command to King Xerxes. Everyone in the capital had been commanded to bow down to Haman whenever he passed by, but one person refused to do so, Mordecai. As a result, Haman determined to extract revenge. Okay, so Haman did not appreciate the fact that Esther's uncle would not bow down to him when he was out in the city. And so he was trying to look for a way to destroy all the Jewish people because he knew that Mordecai was Jewish. And yet he wanted to destroy all of them because of his pride and just being so angry that he wouldn't bow down to him. Way back in the Old Testament, you find an ancient conflict between Jews and a group of people called the Amalekites. They were bitter enemies. The Amalekites raided and ransacked the Jews after the exodus from Egypt. Much later, the Jewish armies under King Saul sought revenge by routing the Amalekites and capturing their king. Can you guess the name of that king? It was Agag, one of Haman's ancestors. First Samuel tells the story of Samuel the prophet putting Agag to death in obedience to God's command. So what we see in the interaction between Mordecai and Haman is generational hatred. It's a combination of long-seated prejudice and deeply rooted antagonism. And it was breaking out all around Esther without her even realizing it. Let me pause for a moment and suggest that prayer is a critical tool for unraveling not only the kind of generational hatred we see in this story, but also the racial conflict that we've experienced across our world in recent countries. No matter where you look on this planet, There are people who have been defined for generations by hatred of other people. Wars have been fought because of ignorance and prejudice, sometimes stretching over decades. Nations and economies have been built through the plunder and exploitation of other nations and economies. Even in societies such as America, where people of all races are encouraged to live freely and respect one another, The fractures and fault lines of past failures still run deep. None of these problems can be solved overnight. The world requires healing, and it takes generations to heal from generational damage. But 
if you want to see peace and mutual appreciation among all people and nations, as I do, then you ignore the healing power of prayer at your peril. And this is so timely in the sense that what we're dealing with today in our world, the conflict in Ukraine does call for modern day Esther's. It does cause for us to pray for these nations. Even if you don't live there, even if you feel like you don't care about what's going on, you don't understand it, it is necessary that you pray because that is what changes things. Our prayers do matter. They do make a difference because we are supernatural. The kingdom of God is working and waiting for us to be able to release those words for some movement, for some change, for some reversals. And we're responsible for doing that, even for things that do not impact us directly. And sometimes when we receive favor in our lives, when we're just living on cloud nine, for those people who sometimes become rich and famous or successful, we sometimes get to a place of self-preservation where we just don't want to get involved in anyone's anything because we are more concerned about our lives being intact. So we don't want to speak up for things that are wrong. We don't want to donate or give our time or attention to things that need change because we just want to stay in our bubble. And the Lord has called us to be witnesses, to use our faith, to be able to make changes in the world, to talk to people, to help our neighbors. That's what favor is for to do God's work. So in the story of Esther, Mordecai, once he heard of this plan, once we knew this was going to happen, right? They want to kill all the Jews and Haman has the power to do it. And he even got the king's permission to do it. Once Mordecai found out about the plan, he told Esther that she needed to go ahead and talk to the king about this and approach him. And let him know about this plan. Now, Esther was already having some issues at the time. The king had not called for her in a while. So he, I don't know what happened between the two of them, but it got to a point where he wasn't asking her to come into his presence anymore. So she probably felt like her favor with him was diminishing. She was comfortable. She was a queen now. Like she was living a great life. She did not want to risk losing her favor. And he didn't even know she was Jewish. So it's not even like losing her favor, but she would have to also admit that she'd been keeping this secret from him, which I'm sure was very difficult. And I want to know in your life, have you ever had situations where you did not want to risk losing your comfort in order to please God? Some examples I can give you. I mean, you need to think about your own life and how that statement relates to you, but Maybe not praying in front of your boyfriend because he's not a Christian. And so you are afraid that you might trigger him to remember that you are not like him and he might break up with you. So let's say you're going to dinner and you have your meal. You choose not to pray. You choose not to pray because you don't want to do it in front of him. Or maybe you've been losing the momentum that you had for your purpose because you got into a new relationship. And you'd rather spend time with your new man or chat on the phone for hours because you feel like you have to do that to keep it up. And you kind of neglect the things that you know you're supposed to be doing for God. 
or maybe you're just doing it by yourself. Maybe you're not in a relationship or anything like that, but you're just watching excess television or Netflix or movies and you're so comfortable because you just got your new apartment and you want to decorate and you want to chill and relax and you don't want to do the things that you know you need to be doing for God because you're in this new state. Or maybe this is happening with your husband where your husband is asking you to do things with him constantly, like watch movies or cook with him or go out to dinner. And you're not able to say no to him. You're not able to say, you know, I would love to, but I really have to get this thing done because you know that this is part of your purpose. A lot of times we end up choosing even sin over God's way because of peer pressure, because of things that your friends are doing or your family is doing, your relationship is doing. And so you feel you have to participate, even though maybe you've made a vow to God that you wouldn't do certain things anymore. This is very common. This is something that happens to all of us when we end up getting things that we've always wanted. We sometimes start to backtrack and lose the vision that God has given us. So Mordecai is telling Esther, you need to go do this. And she's thinking about herself. And it's like, okay, well, I'm the queen. I'm in the palace. I understand this is happening, but how is this really affecting me? You know, just saying. Now, remember who Esther was talking to. She had been living in the palace for months at this point. But Mordecai had been a faithful servant of the king for years. He knew the regulations. He knew the customs. He had already proven his love for Esther and he knew exactly what she would be willing, what she'd be risking if she interceded with the king. Because at that time, you cannot just approach the king with these kinds of matters without being summoned. The king would have to summon you. And if you just did that on your own, you were at risk for dying. The consequence for that was death. You cannot just approach the king. Mordecai knew that. Esther knew that. Everyone knows that. So he was asking her to do something that could really jeopardize her life. The bottom line is that Esther did not want to get involved. Life was good. She was comfortable. She had reached the top of her world. And whatever she might say about not wanting to lose her life, in reality, she was much more worried about losing her position, her favor, her blessing. That is the favor trap. It can be deadly for any person who has been fortunate enough to achieve success. Why? Because when everything is going well in your life, there will always be a temptation to elevate maintaining your comfort over fulfilling your purpose. This trap is especially dangerous for women today, the modern day Esther's. Take it from me, you won't always have the right stuff. Sooner or later, you will be tested just like Esther was tested by Mordecai's request. Sooner or later, your attractiveness, your confidence, and your favor will not be enough to see you through. If your career has led you to the pinnacle of the field, there'll be a moment of testing where you'll be forced to put your corner office and your mahogany desk in the line. You'll have to choose between what you've achieved and what you know to be right. If you are in a season of relational bliss, You've just found the right partner who compliments you and also compliments you in ways that you never thought possible. There is going to come a moment of testing. You will have to choose whether your relationship with God or your relationship with your partner 
will occupy priority in your heart. If your finances have reached a level of abundance you never dreamed possible, there will be a moment of testing where God stretches out his arm to evaluate your heart. Jesus himself said we cannot serve two masters. We must choose between God and money. Rest assured then, at some point, he will make you choose. With that being said, you know, just think about your life and how this has affected you. I know it's affected me in a lot of ways, especially after getting married. I had a certain lifestyle before I got married and it was very, I was just on it. I was on top of everything I was doing for God. I spent tons of my time in fasting and in prayer and getting married. I had a transition because it's not about me anymore. I have to balance. And it was very difficult for me because I was at the point where when I first got married, I was like, oh my gosh, all my time is gone. I don't have time for these things. And I just truly wanted it and was really stressed. And then I got to the point where it's like, okay, this is what it is. I have to adjust and figure it out. And then I ended up leaning the other direction. All my time was going towards my marriage and and that sort of thing. And like none of my time was going towards God. And it was this balance of like, well, do I really need to make this content anymore? Do I really need to do any of these YouTube videos? Do I need to do anything anymore? I kind of don't. You know, maybe I should just chill and pick it up whenever I feel like it. And I had to remember absolutely not. Everything in my life has been programmed in a way where it's all connected. And I cannot just drop one thing because I'm comfortable now. And it's a very tough position to be in, but the Lord will test you and see where your heart is. Do you care more about your marriage and your family, or do you care about him? And so it's something that I really want you to think about because we do this a lot of times without realizing how far we're getting pulled down. So when Mordecai realized that Esther was in this place of self-preservation and she was, he knew her, okay? Mordecai raised her. So he knows how she is. And he knows from watching her, because he used to go and just watch every day to see that she was okay in the palace. He knows that she was probably like, I'm not going to do anything, right? When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So he's telling her, don't think that just because you don't do anything, that this won't come from somewhere else. And that's so important to know. When God has put you in a position to do something and he's giving you a lot of money or a lot of favor or just bless you in so many ways and you just stop, you just feel comfortable and you're like, okay, I'm good. Don't think that he needs you. Okay. God created you for a certain thing. He put a certain purpose into your heart when he designed you before you even debuted in the world. He had a plan and a purpose for you already set in programs. Obviously, it's your choice whether or not you do it. But don't think that if you stop, he won't allow someone else to rise up and do it. And 
that person will end up <laughs> taking over where you left off. He's not going to just say, oh, well, I guess she didn't do it. So I guess my women are never going to learn about femininity. I guess it's just over. You know, it's going to be all this black magic and, you know, all this witchcraft. They're not going to get a godly perspective because Michelle won't do it. He's going to say, no, I'm just going to raise up someone else. And that's what he will do. And it's unfortunate because then you lose out on your purpose and you will never be fully fulfilled if you're not walking in the the plan that he had for you. He's not dependent on only you. And you do need to realize that this principle is something that we need to understand in today's world. When God opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing on you, there's always a reason why. God loves you and genuinely desires your happiness, but there's always more involved with his blessings than simply filling up your bank account or blowing you up on social media. What Mordecai wanted Esther to see is that God-given blessings include God-assigned responsibility. He has a purpose in mind. He has given you something that you can make use of for his glory and not your own. In other words, you've been blessed so that you can be a blessing. You have been extended favor so that you can reflect that same favor onto others. If God allowed you to be a model and be absolutely stunning, and he raises you up to be one of the top models in the world, making all this money, it's not because you're just so great and he just wants you to be so rich and just blow your money on anything. He's doing it because he needs his kingdom people in everything. God needs his people in politics, in the modeling world, in the media, in education, in plumbing, in architecture, in everything. He needs some of his people there and he will place his people there and elevate them above everyone else but expects you to do what you need to do. So if you are that model and you're elevated and you're so rich and you're so famous and you're so everything, that money can be used to elevate other people that God has put on your, on on your heart to elevate or build a certain foundation. Or even if you're not doing that, talk about him. And when they ask you, how did you become such a great catwalker? How do you, how do you channel that part of you that does these amazing photo shoots? You know, whatever. You're not just saying, well, I don't know. I practice in the mirror 24 hours a day. You would say, it's the Lord. God gave me this. Thank you, Lord. You're praising him. You're reminding the world of his love. And that's why he places his people in certain positions and then elevates them right to the top. Everyone can be doing the same exact thing, but he will always have his people excel and exceed everyone else if you say yes. And remember that it's not about you. It's about the Lord. His purpose will always prevail. God is faithful and he's faithful to the things that he wants done in this world. So if you're not going to do it, he's going to get someone else to do it, but it will be done. That foundation will be built. He will save his girls. He will do whatever it is that he needs to be done by someone else. And it's not just about elevating yourself. So what Esther decided to do when she heard this, you know, maybe perhaps you've come to the palace, perhaps you've come to this moment for such a time as this. He was telling her, 
maybe the reason God made you queen instead of all these other people was because he wanted his person. He wanted a Jewish person at that time. This is the Old Testament. He wanted his person to be queen so that she could save all the Jews from being killed. It wasn't only because you're so beautiful and you're so amazing. He placed that favor on you so that you could get things done. And maybe this is why you're the queen in the first place. And so after that, Esther said, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to do what I need to do. And if I die, I die. If I lose my position, I lose my position. It's okay. I'm at the point where I'm stepping up. She then decided to do something that is absolutely monumental and powerful, which is declared a fast. So she said, tell everyone, all the Jewish people to fast for me for three days and three nights, no food, no water and prayer. Because when it comes to the spiritual world, you must tap into the spirit, which is through fasting and give up something important like food and allow heaven's power to work through you and reverse these spiritual things, these these horrible things sometimes that are in your life. Allow God to work through you. So she declared a fast. She also said that she was going to fast. So she wasn't just saying, okay, well, you guys do it and we'll see what happens. She says, even me, the queen who has access to every delicious pastry and food around me, I'm choosing not to eat or drink for three whole days. I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with the idea of fasting. Many are confused about what it is and why they should do it. Fasting is temporarily abstaining from something physical so that you can concentrate on the spiritual. It is removing something of small significance from your life for a time so that you will have extra focus and extra emphasis on that which is eternal. Historically, fasting has often been associated with food. The idea is to avoid physical nourishment for a predetermined amount of time, anywhere from a single meal to 40 days, so that you can receive a greater portion of spiritual nourishment. Fasting goes hand in hand with prayer because of how our bodies work. We are used to eating regularly, and of course, so we voluntarily go without food. Our bodies are slow to get with the program. They send out little reminders, both mental and physical. You get that rumble in your belly and then that mental alarm in the back of your mind that says, time to eat. Instead of eating, however, you simply use those physical and mental sensations as reminders to pray. Notice that Esther did not embark on this alone. She recruited an entire nation of people to join her in prayer and fasting. And prayer and fasting is absolutely essential in every aspect of your life. I'm not going to go very deep into this because I have a video specifically on fasting and praying that I will link so you can watch it. It's part of the series I was telling you. I've done an entire series on Queen Esther. So I really encourage you to watch that entire series. But Fasting is the most important thing in my life. Once I realized how powerful fasting was, it changed my life forever. And I knew that if I ever needed anything done in my life, whether it was an answer from God, something I needed broken off of me, my personality or my spirit, 
something I just wanted desperately. I needed to fast and pray. I needed to give up something and humble myself before God and come to him. And it doesn't change God. Fasting doesn't change God. God is always the same. It changes you. And it allows that that spiritual channel to be clean and clear, to hear God clearly, to receive the things from the spirit world. And it's it's important for reversals. Anything that is going wrong that you need change to go right, it is absolutely necessary. And it's also necessary if you can to fast and pray with other people. When I was really sick, my earlier on in the pregnancy, when I had the kidney stone and I was in the most debilitating, horrific pain of, of my life, I couldn't walk, could barely speak. I was in a horrible condition. I remember asking my husband to fast for me because I couldn't fast and I needed his help. <laughs> and he did. And immediately the next day, I was better from the pain that I was feeling at that time. But all throughout that sickness that lasted about two weeks, if someone came to visit me and they were taking care of me or whatever, I would say like, can you please pray for me right now? And they would pray over me and we would agree in prayer and the pain would stop for at least a few hours. And the Lord says, when two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. Whenever you're agreeing with someone in prayer, God is there. And when it comes to something serious, fasting is the quickest way to move past it. This is for small things, for big things, for anything. Like when I wanted to conceive, if you watched my pregnancy uh, announcement video, I talked about how I ended up conceiving and it was through fasting and praying. I specifically wanted to conceive during my honeymoon and I fasted and I prayed and I sincerely sought the Lord's heart just to see if he would be willing to bless me with this request. And I agreed with one of my friends in prayer and fasting and we prayed about it. And God is so amazing and just, just beyond whatever I could ever imagine. And I did conceive during my honeymoon. I do not believe that that would have happened with my old lifestyle. Until I took upon this posture of seeking the Lord's face seriously through sacrifice, it showed me how this world really works. And whenever I'm in fasting or praying, not only does my life change, but every single person who I pray for, their lives change. And that is so powerful to see. It's not even just about me. So it's important that you remember that when you receive this favor, it's not only about you. And it's important to realize that fasting needs to be a part of your lifestyle if you really want your life to be blessed. And God will bless you more than you could ever even imagine. You're not even doing it for that reason. But so many of you say that you just want to be closer to God. You're not even asking for anything. You just want the relationship to be tighter. And fasting is the number one fastest way to be able to get there. If you really want to feel God's presence, you want to hear from him, you want change in your life, you must fast. And whatever you do in private, he will reward you in public. He knows what you're doing. No one knows about it. You don't need to go telling anyone about it. It's private. But remember, when you're fasting, you're also praying. You're using that time that you'd be using for 
going on Instagram, watching a movie, whatever, and you're giving that time to God. I would suggest that you choose one day out of your week and fast. It can be the day that you were born, the day your child was born, a special day in your life. Just pick one day out of the week and that will be the same day that you fast every single week and you can do it for just six hours or something. And your life will start changing in ways you just never imagined. I know we're running kind of long right now, so I'm going to wrap this up and just kind of skip over some points. It's important that whenever you're facing any tests, any trials, anything that you want, if you want advancement in your life, if you want a certain job, if you want a certain man, whatever it is that you seek God and do not take things into your own hands, allow the Lord to give you his favor. The Lord says in Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. Whatever it is right now that you are trying to do on your own, whatever you're getting impatient about right now, whatever you think may not happen for you, wait on the Lord. Wait on him. Be strong and courageous and wait on him. And he will always show up. And for those of you who don't, feel like you have God's favor, who really believe that you're not receiving from the Lord. Maybe other people are, and you can see it, but you just don't feel like you are. It's necessary that you take time to seek God, that you know he loves you, but there are things that he wants you to do. So I would recommend that you really make that time to be with God and allow the Lord to be your savior. Allow Jesus to really be your savior in your life and to truly save you from yourself, save you from the things that are going on with your life, save you from going to hell, save you from your addictions and your problems. Allow him to be your savior. Say to God, I am done doing things by myself. I believe that you are the son of God, that you are God. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again. I believe that you love me and I'm so ready to move past my old lifestyle and give myself to you so that you can show me the life that you had in mind for me. And when you do that, the Lord will change your whole life. He will take over where you left off trying to do things on your own and When you start acknowledging God and doing your best to live according to what he's asked you to do, you will see favor. And I'm speaking from experience. My life was completely different before I gave it to Jesus. It just was. Yeah, I still had a lot of favor, I would say, more than the average person. But I now realize why God gave it to me. It was like on credit. He knew what he purposed me for. He knew I was going to do it. And he gave me these things so I could get to my destiny and do what I needed to do. Not because I deserved any of those things then or now, but especially not then because I was just doing any and everything, living a reckless lifestyle. But that favor was given to me because he knew what I was going to do later in life. And he needed me to get past those things and get to where I am now. So you're never too bad, done too much. You're never looked at as this bad person. God knows exactly where you're going to be in the future. But do you know where you're going to be in the future? Do you believe that your life can really turn around? Would you even believe it if God showed you 
what he had in store for you, what you're going to be like at 40 years old, how you're going to look, what you're going to have, who you're going to be with. You probably wouldn't believe it even if he told you. So remembering to have faith, be humble in your blessings that you have. Don't think that you're better than anyone. Give testimonies when the Lord blesses you with things and be open to sharing that it wasn't just you, that it really was from God. And like I always say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33, if you seek the kingdom of God, he will give you everything you need and way more. So I just want to make sure that you realize that. And we're going to go into closing prayer. Take some time to think about what we said, close your eyes, and then we'll wrap up. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this lesson that you taught us about Queen Esther and about favor, fasting, and praying, and how important it is in our lives. We ask for forgiveness for all of our sins. We ask that you wash them away. We ask that you change our hearts to be the women that you have called us to be. Lord, we pray that in our lives, we'll be able to see your favor each and every day, acknowledge you, and thank you for everything that you've given us. We ask that you open the doors to be able to bless us, Lord Jesus, with more than we could have ever imagined, to be able to sustain us through days that we are fasting, and we ask for your supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit to infiltrate our lives and all that we do so that we may see the joy of your salvation. We thank you for every single one of these women who are here today. We ask that you bless their lives abundantly this week, that you show them your presence, and that we all can become the Esthers that you have created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you so much, my love, for being here, listening to this podcast, and spending some time with me today. I hope that the information that you heard here today will bless and open up your life for you to be the woman that God created you to be. Make sure to follow me on my Instagram page at A Feminine Impression and my personal page at Dr. Michelle Daff. Also, visit my YouTube channel, Dr. Michelle Daff, for more information and lots of video content on femininity. I would also love your support in purchasing my fragrance from my brand, Fine Forever, by visiting www.fineforever.com. And remember that in all things you do, make a feminine impression.